Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. We certainly hope you encounter Jesus this morning. Um, I would like to read the sermon text. It's out of Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 14. I know you just got seated, but if y'all could stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is poor among saints, as is, pro- as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord." Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the reading of God's Word for the people of God. Thank you, Andy. Come on, y'all, give it up for Jesus one time. I don't know about you, but I needed to sing some worship with you this morning. It's been a long week. If you on social media, you got all kinds of reasons to be scared and frightened. If you read the news or watch the news, you got plenty of reason to be frightened. But how many of you know when we gather and we sing that our God reigns and that our God loves us, all that fear goes running right out of the door. I feel good this morning. I needed to worship with you guys. So thank you guys for coming out. I, uh, I'm excited for my message. Uh, I'm excited to challenge you and to stretch you and to push you and to offend you. So just get ready. Is that all right? Is it all right if I preach to you a little bit this morning? All right, well, let me begin with a pretty good question. If a person were to pattern their life after yours, would that person's life be distinctly Christian? In other words, if people were following you, would we be able to look at their life and go, oh, they're definitely a follower of Jesus? Does your life produce that type of thing? 
Now, I want to talk to you guys about what Andy read this morning, but I want to come back to the first two verses in a little bit. Let me read you guys again that little list that Paul gives us in the first few verses of chapter 5. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetedness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or coveted, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's a, that's a little daunting, isn't it? I checked some of those boxes, do you? When I read this, I was like, wait a minute now, Jesus, what are you saying here? The text is pretty clear. You have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. That's what it says. And so this is pretty serious, isn't it? This text is alarming when I read it. It's concerning because I don't know about you, but I've made plenty of crude jokes over my lifetime. I've practiced some sexual immorality over my lifetime. I'm not quite pure. But all of those points that Paul gives us, all of them, that list is not comprehensive. Paul didn't give us an exhaustive list of sins to go, oh, okay, well, as long as I'm not one of those sins, I'm okay. It's just a list that applies specifically to the church at Ephesus at the time. And so my question isn't whether my, my sin is found in Paul's list. The question is, what do I do with my sin? What do I do with my sin? Because here's the thing. If that list was exhaustive, this is what we would do. We would take that list and go, well, my sin's not like that person's sin, and we would do this comparison game. All the while, God would be going, you realize that the thing that you're going to be compared to isn't the person beside you, it's me. And so Paul doesn't ever give us an exhaustive list of sins. He uses these as an example for us to follow. Because the question here is really clear. And we find it, we find it most closely in the text. Sin in any form or any fashion has no place among the saints. Let me say that again. Sin in any form or fashion has no place among the saints. In fact, Paul goes so far in this text, he says it should not even be a topic of conversation among the saints. But I found in churches we spend a whole lot of time talking about our sin problem. And not enough time talking about how Jesus solved it. So today I'm going to talk about sin, but I'm going to talk more about Jesus. Because I think the solution to your sin problem and my sin problem is Jesus himself. And so that's what we're going to talk about. And I think today's passage is more about our identity than our behavior. Because here's what I believe. I believe what we do flows from who we are. But we spend so much time trying to identify ourselves by what we do. Well, you do this, so that means you are that. No, what you are is what you do. The Bible tells us this way, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? Our actions only reveal what we are inwardly. 
The problem is, is if we could fix our behaviors, we'll feel better about who we are on the inside. And we're constantly striving and constantly trying to deal with this feeling that we have. Instead of doing the hard work of looking on the inside and letting God examine our hearts. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we need to be perfect. We should be, but we realize we won't be, right? And I'm not even saying that I'm sinless because I'm not. Listen, we all sin. I'm really good at it, actually. Anybody else? Am I the only person that's good at sinning in here? Come on, somebody help me out this morning. I'm really good at sinning. It doesn't take much for my temper to flare up with my children. It does not, God don't, oh, Jesus, don't let me be quarantined for two weeks in my house and my kids. <laughs> Woo. I ain't worried about the virus. I'm worried about the safety of my children. Y'all better pray for me. Come on, y'all. Can we just, listen, I know if you're a guest this morning, I'm so glad you came to church, but can I talk to the church folk this morning? We got to get our act together. And I ain't saying we got to get it together to please Jesus. We got to get it together because it matters. Amen. Well, amen. Amen. And so today I'm more concerned with how we treat our sin issue. I'm more concerned about how we treat the fact that we are sinners. And I got a difficult task because I want to minimize the power of sin in your life, but I want to maximize the seriousness of it. That's hard to do. And I think we haven't done a real good job of it, truthfully. Because I think in the process of trying to maximize the seriousness of it, we've made the power of it something that we aren't free of. And can I just tell you this? Sin is powerless in your life. It's all right. Clap. Clap away. Sin's powerless in your life. It's serious, but it's powerless. It matters, but it can't control you. It's real, but it has no dominion. You know, I, uh, there's a passage in the Bible where Jesus encounters this woman, and he looks at her, and he says something that's really puzzling to me. He says, go and sin no more. And I was studying that text this week, and the funny thing is, is there's a lot of debate about whether that woman could have actually went and sinned no more. Now, I don't know about you, but it tends to, when I read the Bible, I tend to take it that Jesus meant what he said. Now, we can spend a lot of time trying to theologically explain away why Jesus would have looked at this woman after he said, you are forgiven, now go and don't sin anymore, and go, you know what, he didn't really mean that she wouldn't sin anymore. What he really meant was don't do that sin anymore, or if you do sin, it's no big deal. But Jesus said, go and stop sinning. Now, when God forgave you, he said the same thing. You're forgiven, stop sinning. Stop sinning. And listen, if God gives a command, he also gives the power. And if he gives you the power, that means that if you rely on him, guess what can happen? You can really go and sin no more. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Every time that I've sinned, it's because I've tried to rely on myself. Every single time. Every single time. And I bet you if you look at your life, 
the times that you give in to sin, you were not relying on the power of Jesus. You were relying on the power of self. Amen, Keith. You know, we've made sin just such an acceptable thing because, well, we all do it. Right? It's a common problem. Every human has it. Every person that has a bottom, that's a church way of saying butt, <laughs> in a seat, has a sin issue. We know our issues. We know the problem. But can I just remind you of this, that there's an empty tomb. And if there's an empty tomb, then sin's not a problem. Y'all didn't get nearly as excited as you should have right there. There's an empty tomb. And because there's an empty tomb, sin does not control your life. Okay. <laughs> Pastor Bradley, I don't know. I'll keep going. Let me read some scripture to you. Since you weren't too convinced by what I just said. Colossians 3, 5. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, and covetedness, which is idolatry. Those sound strikingly similar to what we read. And what he, Paul is saying in Colossians is kill those things. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you really believe that God has weaponized you to do that? Do you believe you have the tools to actually put to death the thing you struggle with? The sin that chases you day in and day out. The thing that you've been fighting for years that will not go away. Do you really believe that God has resourced you with the spirit itself, himself, to defeat sin? Do you believe it? Galatians 5, 24, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Christians, we kill our sin. We don't tolerate it. We don't accept it. We don't live in it. We're not okay with it. We kill it. We murder it. But we've made it all too common. Sin is serious because God is holy. Listen, when Jesus died, he died to save you. He did. He died to save you. Thank him for that. But he didn't just die to save you and keep you from going to hell. He died so that the grip that sin has on your life, he could peel back those fingers and you could be freed. Sin has no grip. But here we are. Now listen, I know how it goes. Listen, I understand. I get it. We get in that moment, we're in our car, you know, we're by ourselves, or we're in a moment with our, with our spouse, something's going on, and in that moment, it feels like sin's squeezing, and it feels like sin has just got a grip on you and you can't break free. But the problem isn't whether sin is present, the problem is what you do with it. Sin is going to be present. You're going to live with it. Because God has not done all that God's going to do in redemption yet. But listen, there's only two responses to sin. I want to give you the first one. And this is this first group of people. They're not Christians. 
These are the people that sin, and they don't really care that they're sinning. And here's the thing, guys, listen. Don't get all bent out of shape about those people not caring about the fact that they sin. They shouldn't. They can't. They won't. Why are you all mad at them? The world is going to live sinful because guess what? It's still under the power of sin. But let me talk to you about this other group. This are the believers. These are the ones that are in Christ. Christians despise their sin. They hate the fact that I'm even having to talk about sin. The notion of it makes your stomach turn. You want to run as far away from it as you can. If you are a believer, you don't want to sin. In fact, you have gone beyond just not wanting to, to the place of declaring all-out war on it. Because you don't want to do anything else to see your Savior suffer on the cross. And every sin we commit, Jesus died for. Now, I know that's already happened in the past. But I refuse to let lies and schemes come in and convince me that everybody does it, so it's okay. Just because other Christians think it's okay to live their life the way they want doesn't mean we should. We should despise it. Now, let me read you something out of verse 7 because I think there's something important here that we need to get. In verse 7, what Paul says is that we should not be partakers or participants with these people. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Now, it would be really easy for us to justify our piety here and go, well, I'm just not going to associate with people that sin. You stay over there. Treat them like they're the coronavirus. You know, you got to stay 17 feet away from me, and if you cough, I will shoot you. Right? Like, that's how we tend to treat sinners. Right? But that's not what Paul's saying here. Paul's not saying don't associate with them. What Paul's saying is don't be like them. Don't look like them. Don't act like them. Don't talk like them. Don't walk like them. In fact, I named this sermon Walk It Out. Because some of us need to learn how to walk it out. Some of us actually need to learn how to step like Jesus. Some of us need to learn how to walk like Jesus. In fact, in the first two verses, it says, walk in love. Well, guess who is love? God is. Jesus is. We need to learn how to walk like him and talk like him and act like him and be like him. As Christians, we cannot be deceived. We cannot be deceived by those who participate in sin and their clever talk. Everybody sins. What's the big deal? What's well, a big deal? Because God is holy. This is what's happened. This is exactly what I believe has happened in making known the seriousness of sin. Somehow we have convinced you. I, I take credit for this. I'll take credit for this as a preacher. Somehow in talking about how serious sin is, we have convinced you that sin has power over you. 
Somewhere down the road in our efforts to make sure Christians have understood how serious and how appalled God is by sin and how opposite sin is from God, we have convinced people that they have no power over sin. And today, you know sin doesn't have like this mystical thing. You know, it's not like... It just comes in and then all of a sudden everything else goes out the window. In fact, the Bible says first it comes in the form of temptation. And then what happens is we start entertaining the temptation. There's where the problem starts. Temptation with entertainment. Because then you're actually pondering. You've already bought the lie. And once you start entertaining it, guess what's going to happen? You're going to walk your little merry self right to it. No, I get it. You, you, you gonna, you, Keith, you just don't understand. Like, you, you can't really be serious about this sin thing and being free from it and actually being able to live a sinless life. You could not possibly mean that. You don't understand my struggle, Keith. You don't know what it's like to be me. Can I just tell you guys this? Listen, let me let you in on a little secret. You're right. I, I might not understand your addiction. I might not understand why you struggle with the sin you struggle with. I might not understand how your home life is and why you're so angry. You're right. I might not. But can I just tell you I was addicted to? Can I just tell you that I was angry too? And we could sit down and we can play the comparison game for weeks and months at a time. And I could argue why my sin is more difficult to overcome than your sin. But here's the thing. At the foot of the cross, no sin has power. So the question isn't one of comparison. The question is one, what is the cross doing about the sin problem in your life? But the deception is this. Well, maybe I should sit around and compare my sin with yours so that I can feel better about my sin. Again, remember, because we're trying to soothe what we know is wrong. We get focused on the sin. Sin gets our attention. It's the thing we stare at. But Jesus died to purchase. It's bought and paid for your freedom. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Not kind of free, not sort of free, not maybe free one day, is free. That's present tense. You are free. Now guard and fight for your freedom. Don't you let slavery come back in and bind you up when the cross has broken those shackles. Do something about it. Walk it out. Walk it out. The truth is, the truth is this. I was sharing with a brother not too long ago, and he's here today. And I'm sure when I start sharing this story, he's going to know I'm talking about us. We were in my truck, and we were riding around, and he was struggling. This brother was struggling with some temptation in his life, and I could see the hurt in his eyes, and I could see that he was doing war as best he knew how. But he forgot something, I believe, that was critical, and when I started to share with him, I wanted him to really understand a key component of defeating sin. And so I said, you got to remember something. you got to remember you're a child. You are a son of the Most High God. Isn't it true that when we begin to struggle with sin and temptation, the first thing that goes out the window is our identity? 
It's who we are in him. But the, in order to defeat sin, the first thing we got to remember is who we are in him. Amen. Well, amen. <laughs> well, hallelujah, Stacy. Come on up front row. <laughs> I'm actually turning the dial down a little bit. I'm kind of fired up this morning. Listen. Listen. This is the question. Has, has Jesus, the one who death bows to, made a home in your heart? Has the resurrected Lord come walking in to the depths of your souls and yanked out an old, hard, rotten heart and put it in a soft, new heart? Has he done that? And if he has, then I can tell you this with all confidence. Sin has no chance. Has no chance. Because you're not who you used to be. That's not you anymore. I, uh, I learned something when I was a police officer. I, uh, we did, uh, every year we had to be recertified in all these different things, and one of them was combatives where you learn, you know, fighting stuff. And so it doesn't take long. You get on a mat, and, you know, they want you to put gear on to protect yourself because they don't actually want you getting hurt. And so you, you get in there, and they don't care who you square up with. You might square up with a little four-foot-tall female that you think you're going to just be able to roll her all over the place and not have any problem. Or you might square up with a six-foot-six, 300-pound man. It's just like, hey, you two are going to have to, you arresting him, have fun. And it's like, this dude benches 600 pounds. What are you thinking? Like, I'm going to shoot that guy. I'm not wrestling him. <laughs> Y'all laughing. <laughs> I ain't playing. Like, he's big. <laughs> And so we'll start wrestling, man. And, you know, you got all kinds of techniques, and you do this, and this is supposed to work. But do you realize that techniques don't matter after the first minute of a fight? Because let me explain to you what happens physically in the first minute of a fight. You start out fighting, and you got some strength, man. You're strong, and you're feeling it, and you're going. Within the first minute, 50% of your strength is gone. It's scientifically proven. 50% within the first minute. And so this is what I believe Christians are doing. I think we're getting in a fight with the devil, and we're looking at an opponent that seems to be much bigger and much larger than we are, and we're going, oh, I can take this guy because I got some techniques. I know some things. <laughs> and then we get to wrestling, and then suddenly within a minute, it's like, man, whoo, I'm kind of getting tired. <laughs> Next thing you know, you got 300 and something pounds laying on top of you. You're like, I can't breathe. Get off me, man. I ain't playing. I can't breathe. You can't wrestle with the devil because you're going to get tired within the first minute. But can I just tell you this, that the Holy Spirit that resides in you can pull out that pistol that he's got and he can just pow. I hope you remember that when you're struggling. Holy Spirit, get your pistol out. I don't know about you, but the spirit that works with me, he got a bazooka playing games with the devil. I want to go back. I want to tell you guys how you're going to win. 
The way you win this fight is found in verses 1. Really 1, 2, but I want to focus on verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Eric, I'm going to skip verse 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. I want to share a story with you guys. It's really personal to me, and I might cry, but that's okay. You say amen while I cry. <clears throat> My biological father was in a really severe car accident early in his life. I think he was late teens, early 20s. The car, he was ejected from the car, and the car rolled over and hit him somewhere in the legs, and he ended up losing his legs from the knees down. And uh, so he had prosthetic legs. Uh, he and my mom met after that, and uh, they got married, and, well, they had a child. <laughs> my mom informed me that she didn't really want me, but he did. And that's okay, because I still love my mama, y'all. I'm a mama's boy. <clears throat> but when I was 26 months old, uh, my father started getting sick. And he had this lump that developed behind his left ear, and he went to the doctor, and the doctor felt it and said it was a cyst, nothing to worry about. And uh, anyway, he, he got really sick, really, really sick. And uh, he had went to visit some family down in Alabama. Yes, I got family in Alabama. No jokes, please. I'm preaching. You'll distract me. In Alabama. And uh, <clears throat> he comes home because they, he had gotten worse while they were away. He ends up having to go to the emergency room. They admit him. Uh, within the first week, he's having to be put on life support. Uh, he developed pneumonia while he was in the hospital, couldn't breathe on his own, filled up with 38 pounds of fluid, and died. Amen. Amen. I was 26 months old. Now, it'd be a lie if I told you I hadn't asked God about that, because I have. I have. My mom remarried when I was, uh, I think I was six years old, somewhere around in there. And uh, I have a blended family now. I got an amazing stepdad who loves me. I got some stepbrothers and sisters that are, I don't even know why I call them step. They're my family. Like, they're, they're my family, y'all. And I love them. And I wouldn't trade them for the world. <laughs> that was my mom laughing. <laughs> Well, maybe sometimes. I don't know. I might trade them sometimes. It depends. If it's Christmas and you get something better, I might trade them. I don't know. But what is amazing to me that 36 years of my life I have spent with my blended family. I never knew my dad. I have no memories of him. I couldn't tell you what he looks like if I didn't have a picture. I couldn't tell you what his voice sounded like. I couldn't tell you how he walked. I couldn't tell you what kind of man he was. I'm told he was an amazing man who loved his family and he loved Jesus. So I look forward to meeting him someday. But here's the thing. What really knocks me off of my feet is when I talk to my aunt, his sister, or someone that knew him, and they go, Keith, it's so eerie. It's so eerie at how you walk like your dad. It's so eerie how your mannerisms are a lot like your dad's. Keith, it's really strange, that, but when you talk, you sound just like your dad. I never knew him. I never observed any of this behavior. And yet he left an imprint on my life because I was his son. 
There's something in his DNA that got transferred to my DNA. And can I just tell you this? You might not know all you need to know about God the Father, and you might not know all that you'd want to know about God the Father, but if you're his son or his daughter, he's left an imprint on your life, and you will walk and talk and act like your Father in heaven. I looked up the, the definition of imprint, and I want to share it with you guys because it's kind of awesome. An imprint is a mark made by pressing something onto a softer substance so that its outline is reproduced. Verse 1, be imitators of God, beloved children. What follows is the outline. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You can't walk it out until you've been pressed on by something that's much stronger, much harder, and more unmovable than yourself. If you're going to win the war on sin, you got to understand that God has made an imprint on your life. Amen. But here's what tends to happen. You sin, and then it's like a vortex. You get sucked right back into what you used to be. Ephesians 5, 8 said, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Did you notice that? You are this. Not someday you might become this. You are this. That's who you are now. Stop living in the darkness. What sin does is it gets our attention off of Jesus and onto sin. That's the most clever deceit sin plays on us. Because if sin can get our attention on it instead of Jesus, we're going to end up going toward it. It's going to happen. In fact, what sin does is it gets our focus on our faults instead of our Father. That's what sin does. But can I just tell you that God has never lost a fight? Can I just tell you that nothing has overcome Jesus? That not one thing in your life will ever prevail over and against Jesus Christ? The problem we've got to deal with is letting sin get our attention. Because if we can keep our eyes trained on the Father, we will move toward the Father. And there's nothing that the Father can't defeat. What we face, we focus on, and what we focus on has our attention, and what has our attention, we walk towards. This actually has a scientific name, y'all. It's kind of cool. It's called target fixation. Say it with me, target fixation. You know you like saying it. It's all right. You ain't got to act like it. I know you enjoyed it. Target fixation is an attentional phenomenon observed in humans in which an individual becomes so focused on an observed object, be it a target or hazard, that they inadvertently increase their risk of colliding with that object. Now, let me help you with this. Sin, if you focus on it, this is what you're going to do. You're going to walk right at it until you run right into it. 
target fixation. You do this all the time. You ever seen somebody driving down the road with their cell phone? They paying attention to it and not where their car's going? You've seen it, right? Yeah. You ever done it? Don't lie. <laughs> Don't even lie. You know you text while you drive. Stop it. You're going to kill yourself. Target fixation. What you focus on, you will go toward. You want to be free, focus on the Father. I know you got sin to deal with. Keep your eyes on the Father. There was an old hymn, and I'd sing it if I could sing. <laughs> but if I sang it, you'd all get up and leave because it's sinful when I sing. But seriously, turn your eyes upon Jesus, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. If you want your sin to become dim in your eyes when you're struggling with temptation, turn your eyes on Jesus and watch how God and looking at the Father will suddenly shift everything that's happening in your life. Turn your eyes on Jesus. The force of sin is pathetic when compared to the cross. He who is in me is greater than he who is in this world. You deceit, dis, defeat sin by focusing in, on and following Jesus. Isaiah 42 says this, Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes to, that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. You know what's fascinating about that? He could have went up right in to the first, I don't know, verse six. Just give me the, I am the Lord. I'm good with just, I am the Lord. But he, Isaiah is careful to point out that God is the one who placed the stars and stretched the heavens. You know why? Because we need to know that God actually has the power to do what we think and believe he's capable of doing. And so I think what Isaiah was trying to do was to convince the people of Israel that God that created the heavens, when you go outside, take a look up, up and just see the clouds and the sun and just acknowledge that he is all powerful and that he is more than capable of conquering the sin in your life. Until you believe that God is powerful, you will never defeat the sin in your life because you're relying on your own strength. That's right. The God that stretched the heavens said, I will keep you and I will make you righteous. Do you really believe the devil has a chance? That sin has a chance. But see, here's the other problem. My last one. I only got two points. Here's the other problem. We all have equal access, but we don't all take advantage of the access we have. That's the second problem. That's good, Keith. Yeah, woo, I'm free. Woo, yeah, kick the door. Woo, get all fired up about that part. But can I just tell you, if you keep stumbling back into the same old sin, the problem isn't with Jesus. The problem is you're not taking advantage of the access that Jesus paid for for you. I know that's hard. And that applies to my life too. 
Trust me, that's a big old pill to swallow. But listen to this, Mark 2, 4. Y'all remember the story. These men could not get near Jesus because of so many people. So they made a hole in the roof of the house over where Jesus stood. And then they let them down. Let, then they let down the bed with the sick man on it. And we know what happened with the rest of the story, but we don't have that kind of problem. We don't need anybody to tear a roof off so we can get to Jesus. We don't need that. In fact, what Hebrews tells us, not like the Old Testament. You remember in the Old Testament, the priest had privileged access. You and I wouldn't have had that access. Only Pastor Bradley would have had that special access. <laughs> That's how the Old Testament worked. But what Hebrews tells us is that Jesus is now our high priest, and we have access to the Father, and we can boldly, boldly enter into God's presence. You want to defeat sin in the moment? Turn on some worship music and start singing to Jesus. Open your Bible and get alone with God if you want to defeat sin. Stop trying to fight it in and of yourself with all these cute little formulas. Get with Jesus and I promise you, I promise you this, you will be free. I guarantee it. People come to my office all the time struggling with sin. My first question, how's your devotional life going? Well, it's terrible. I'm not reading my Bible. I'm not praying. I'm not doing it. Well, of course you're struggling. Because guess what? You can't get water out of the hose when the valve is shut. If you don't have a devotion life, the valve is shut. Stop getting mad at Jesus when the valve's closed. He said, turn it. It'll open. Ephesians 2.18, or through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Ephesians 3.12, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Matthew tells us, and so does Mark, that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know what that means? It's close. It's here. That you believe that Jesus is here right now? I'm going to ask that question again, and I want you to think about it. I don't want you to say yes just because I'm up here yelling. Do you believe that Jesus is here? What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Praise team, y'all come on. I got to quit. I... Uh, I love taking my kids to get ice cream, mainly because I love ice cream. I'm sure y'all could tell. No fat jokes. It's okay if I make fun of my own fatness, but if you do it, it's offensive. Suck it in, right? You know, the reason I love taking my kids to get ice cream is not for obvious reasons. You know, they walk in, they get excited about it. They, y'all, they still get excited when I look at them and go, let's go get ice cream. But... I don't know about you, but as an adult, somewhere down the line, I kind of lost all the excitement to getting ice cream. But Carrie and I, we'll get our kids, and it's funny. They'll be outside playing, and I'll be like, hey, y'all come inside. Change clothes. Clean up a little bit. We got somewhere we got to be. And they'll be like, oh, damn, I don't go anywhere. Playing. Come on. 
They get all upset with me. All right, son, just, just go get you a jacket. We got somewhere we got to go. And they're like, well, come on, Dad. I, I want to I play the switch. I'm on level 87. <laughs> son, go get your jacket. Hurry up. We got to go. Door slams. We get in the car the whole way. They fussing. Where are we going? Well, we just got somewhere we got to be. We pull up. We get out of the car. And walk, start walking down the sidewalk. And they see that ice cream shop, and they just know. They ain't even got to ask. Daddy, are we getting ice cream? Oh, we getting ice cream, aren't we, Daddy? And we walk in. You smell it, those fresh waffle cones mixed with vanilla and chocolate. Go ahead, close your eyes. Go there with me. <laughs> we walk in, and there's this nice big freezer with glass on it. We start peeking in. You got sherbet chocolate ice cream and vanilla and cookies and cream and Rocky Road and some strange creation of some kind of thing that's ice cream and 27 other flavors. And they go up and down and, you know, they, can I sample this? Can I? I'm like, you've sampled that last time. Like, you're not fooling anybody, but go ahead. <laughs> so after about five samples, they make their selection. Dang, can I get a cone? Yeah, go ahead. They get their little cone. Daddy, can I get sprinkles? Daddy, can I have gummies? Daddy, can I have a brownie? Daddy, could I have some chocolate on it? Daddy, they got marshmallows. Daddy. I love, love that my kids ask me, really do and this is why I love that my, dad, my kids ask me because my kids are trying to take advantage of the access that they have they're just being kids and I think I think one of the greatest problems with Christians today, and myself included, is that we are not taking advantage of the access that Jesus Christ himself purchased. Because all of the ice cream flavors, the cone, and all of the toppings were purchased at Calvary. And when it comes to defeating your sin, all you got to do is say, Daddy, be free I don't want to sin anymore because I know it's serious don't waste your access to the Father don't waste it it reads on the third Sundays we've been doing this thing called confession and Assurance of pardon. 
We're going to do it today again, but we're going to do it slightly different. So if you would, just stand up with me for a second. I want you to read it out loud. I want you to read it out loud. And then I'm going to give you some instructions right after we read it. Read it with me. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. If your loyalty, if your loyalty to your Father in heaven has fallen prey to a belief that sin has power over your life, I want you just to slip up your hand. Slip up your hands. I'm asking you to slip them up on purpose because I don't think there's any reason to be ashamed. I want people to be able to look around and go, you know what? I am not alone in this fight. Here's what I want you guys to do. I want everybody in the building to just make a fist and hold it up. Make a fist. And I want you to take the next 30 seconds to a minute, and I want you to just begin to confess every sin that, you can, that comes across your mind that you have committed. I'm not talking about sins other people have committed. I'm talking about your sins, your offenses. And I want you to hold it in that fist for about the next 30 seconds to a minute. Let's confess together. that fist up we're going to read 1 John together and as we read this I want you to do something I want you just to begin to open that hand as we read it okay and that open hand just symbolizes one thing that what we're reading God has accomplished and that we are free because he has opened freed the grip of sin in our life. So let's read it together. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's worship the Lord together. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.